Hi everyone and welcome to the Parma Podcast. I am James Prescott, your host. Welcome to the show. I'm delighted to welcome back um, somebody who's become a good friend of mine. He's been a regular guest on the show. Um, and uh, yeah, welcome back, Mike McCarg. Welcome. Hey James, it's good to see you again. It really is. Um, yeah. I don't remember the last time I saw you. I think it's when you were in London with the liturgist, I think was the last time I saw you. Oh no, yeah, it wasn't. the last time I was there. No, it was no, it wasn't even that. Well, I came to I came to see you. It was when I came to oh, see yeah, you. Oh yeah, that's right. About this time last year, yeah. Yeah, we went to my favorite lunch spot. We did. It was great. But I hope we'll still be there when all this is over. Let's hope so. Let's, I genuinely hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, and you might know Mike better as Science Mike from the podcast. Our Science Mike. He's also been on the Liturgist podcast. And he's written a couple of books, and he's got a new book out um, called You Are a Miracle, which I love, the title, um, just on its own. <laughs> it's a great title. Um, and I think, like, what I wanted to do today was kind of just, I think it's important to acknowledge what's happening in the world um, right now, and just mm-hmm. talk a little bit about that. But mm-hmm. um, also kind of talk about the book, because the book is kind of your story. Um, and it's a, it's a quite a personal book, um, mm-hmm. uh, really really powerful. So um, yeah, that's what we'll do today. So I think yeah, well first we'll kind of just acknowledge what's going on in the world. That you know there's a pandemic happening right now uh, that we're all kind of caught up in. And um, you've been doing a lot of really great work in talking about that and sharing some of the science and some of the things that we should do um and what's kind of been your what's been your experience of this so far well um it's i realized pretty quickly that as someone who is both science literate and been through a journey of um growing emotional literacy that those were good tools to put in use to serve the public good right now. Hmm. So I've really increased my tempo of public communication. I've been doing pretty much daily um, videos for uh, Instagram and Facebook and YouTube focused on the facts of what's happening, trying to cut through some of the both the media sensationalism and the denialism that we see mm-hmm. about COVID-19. Uh, both of which are wrong. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Being, being too sensationalistic is irresponsible, and denying that this is a problem is irresponsible. Uh, and I've also been trying to help people uh, focus on their emotional response to this pandemic, which is something that doesn't get a lot of attention, but is very important because our inability to understand and connect with our emotions directly is playing a role in how we're responding to this crisis, uh, both in terms of the actions we take, the news media that we pay attention to, and ultimately um, yeah. whether we respond in a reasonably and informed way or uh, a panicked way or by putting our heads in the sand and pretending nothing's happening. Uh, I believe that helping people through a process of grief and awareness that involves emotional literacy will ultimately help us minimize the amount of lives lost from the pandemic and the amount of livelihood impacted by the corresponding economic contraction that will go along with us trying to mitigate a loss of life from COVID-19. 
Hmm. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. I mean, everything I've seen of yours has been has absolutely been nailed on the head. You know that we uh, that we we have to take this seriously. We have to be responsible. We have to take the right precautions. We have to listen to the science. Um, and but we also need to also not panic and not you know not um, get you know we need to be emotionally healthy. You know we need to. Um, because when I mean, I've noticed this in myself. I was talking to somebody else about this today that that I've had to, you know, oft, often take time away um, and just breathe because just to, just to be present with myself. Because uh, I've noticed that my emotions have been very very heightened. I mean, I'm a highly sensitive person, so I I take on a lot of the things around me anyway and internalize them. So at a time like this, that's that's heightened, um, and. You know, and I noticed. I mean, everyone's been going on social media to connect, which is a normal thing to do when when you can't go out and engage with people physically. But obviously, a lot of time on social media can be bad for your mental health. So mm-hmm. there's been that kind of. I've, I've seen the tension and the anxiety um, and the, you know the level of that rising on social media, and people have been noticing it, um, and I noticed it in myself. Um, because we're, we're all feeling it right now, mm-hmm. and um, it's important to acknowledge it in a healthy way. Um, yeah, the emotional response is very, very important. Well, that's why my main thing has actually been a daily check-in time. I do it on both Facebook and Instagram Live, and the goal there is not to get the latest news, although if people have questions about the virus, I answer it. I also answer for, you know, silly questions or fun questions. Uh, but the goal of that time we spend together is being grounded and present. You know, anxiety is something we experience when our brain is trying to imagine what could happen in the future. And although that is an important and necessary part of life, if we stay stuck there and are chronically anxious, it impairs our ability to feel good, to relate to others, to get access to our own feelings. It can even impact our health and well-being. And so having a discipline uh, even a ritual of regularly grounding yourself and connecting with the now is an important intervention. And uh, in this time of social distancing, it's not possible for me to host like in-person gatherings where we ground. So instead, I just go on uh, Facebook Live and I encourage people to take steps that help them to feel present in this moment. I usually begin by asking people to take a couple of deep breaths and really focus on if they can feel the breath in their, their throat and in their lungs and their nose and their mouth, see if they can feel how the air feels coming into their body as opposed to how it feels as it leaves. I have people, uh, if they like, put both feet flat on the ground uh, and see what they can feel with the bottoms of their feet. Sometimes I encourage people to slip their shoes off and feel the floor, whether that's carpet or tile or a rug or whatever. There'll be a texture there and let them focus off in sensation. I ask them to close any other news media they may have open. So I ask them during our time together not to watch MSNBC or uh, Sky News or anything like that, not to be scrolling Twitter, but to only be having our conversation, Uh, maybe to rub their hands together and feel that sensation, listen to the sound Mm. of what that sounds like, Mm. rub their hands on their pants and feel what the fabric feels like. And the more you do these things that are grounded in senses, the more you come to this moment. And you might say, well, why would I do that? I don't have the luxury to be in this moment in the face of a global pandemic. But I actually believe 
we're going to need tremendous emotional resiliency among every member of the public to get through this. There's only so many of us that can take actions that make an impact on a national or international level. Those people are mainly heads of states and high-ranking government officials, as well as the leaders of very large corporations. The rest of us, the best thing we can do for now is take care of ourselves, including the grief and painful feelings we feel from being socially isolated. And that's why I think this grounding process, this checking in process is necessary and essential. I do it several times a day uh, as I read the news, as I engage with social media, and then I do it publicly about you know five or six times a week uh, on social media as well to encourage other people to enter into that practice. Because as I talk about in my next book, social media isn't bad or and it isn't good. It's neutral. It has mm. good and bad aspects to that experience. And by being more intentional with how we engage with social media and how we curate our social media experience, we can maximize those benefits while minimi- minimizing the negative outcome. Absolutely. And I've, I, yeah, I, I've noticed this so much the last couple of years. Like, I've changed how I use social media because it does have an effect on you. you know, mm-hmm. Even when it's not... Even when there isn't a pandemic, it, it, mm-hmm. it has an effect on your in mental and emotional health, and you have to steward how you use it because um, there it can become unhealthy. Uh, and yeah, and that's one of the things I've noticed about you is like that I admire so much is how you steward your social media usage, how you're very intentional about when you are there and when you're not there and what you say when you're there and what you don't do when you're there. Um, I think that's a great example of, of that. And actually, that, I mean, I think we I want to, I want to talk about your new book as well, because um, it's a great book and I'm really excited to, to talk about it. Um, it's called You Are a Miracle. Um, mm-hmm. and, and a pain in the ass. And a pain in the ass. You're like, I love that. It's just a little brackets underneath. It's like, and a pain in the ass. It, it it's actually kind of relevant in some ways to what we're going through because it talks about a lot of that like what you say you mentioned in your book about social media um, and so tell us a bit about the story behind that book well I uh, gosh if you rewind the clock a few years ago I was the co-founder and co-host of an incredibly successful podcast which was mm. rapidly growing uh, I had my own podcast, Ask Science Mike, that was growing really rapidly as well. Uh, I was traveling the world doing sold-out speaking events back-to-back all the time. And I had this experience where I felt like everything I did really mattered. It was really important because uh, every time I did a podcast or did a speaking event, it seemed as if people's lives were changed. And I was in a period where I just felt tremendous emotional satisfaction, a clear sense of calling and a purpose, and I thought to myself, like, everyone should be able to do this. Everyone should be able to do, uh, wake up every morning and do something that they believe is meaningful and significant and important. And I wanted to write uh, a book about how to live the life I was living, kind of a a tutorial for people, Uh, having been someone who'd suffered immensely in the past and Mm -hmm. done a lot of therapeutic work, I thought I had some wisdom and insight to offer, and I pitched that book, and um, publishers were interested, and my publisher bought it. Uh, 
And as soon as I started writing that book about basically how to be uh, a successful person who, who makes an impact in the world that's positive, uh, my life started to fall apart. Um, mm. I uh, had a very serious uh, mental health diagnosis, too, actually, autism spectrum disorder and post-traumatic stress disorder. I started having panic attacks. Uh, at events and before I would walk on stage, occasionally on stage. Uh, I started having panic attacks around all the time. I'd, I'd have trouble driving and parking. I had a, once a panic attack so bad, I got out of my car in the middle of a busy major street in Los Angeles and abandoned my vehicle and tried to hide behind a car. Uh, it felt like everything was coming apart. My daughter was diagnosed with an eating disorder. Uh, I had a, a serious cardiac event that landed me in the hospital. Uh, I wiped out in that process my life savings, trying to keep my family afloat, both paying for my daughter's uh, treatments for her eating disorder, as well as my mounting medical bills for my heart condition. Uh, and then my dear friend Rachel Held Evans died. And all that happened while I was trying to write a book about living a fulfilling life. Mm. And uh, wow. I couldn't write that book because I realized I'd made a really fatal flaw that I told myself I would never make again, and that's to believe that I was an expert who had things figured out. And life quickly debased me of that notion, and so I started again from a place of humility, wrestling with a fundamental question, why is it that so often the things that I want to do, I don't do, and the things that I know I shouldn't do, I do anyway? Why is it that, you know... Uh, when I understand I, my health is, is not great and uh, I'm, I'm getting unhealthy, that I keep eating pizza and fried chicken and not things that make me feel better. Why is it that when I understand the mental impacts of social media and lots of device uses that I'm starting to clock major, major hours uh, on these devices? Why is it that I'm having panic attacks that I cannot control? And as I thought about all of these things, I realized that dilemma sounded familiar. The Apostle Paul wrote about it in Romans uh, when he says, I don't understand myself. I do that which I hate. I don't do that which I think is right. And I'm not a real Apostle Paul guy, but I felt a lot of solidarity there with Paul. And so I started examining this thing that is sometimes called Paul's dilemma through the lenses of behavioral economics and interpersonal neurobiology and cognitive psychology, and began to wrestle with this notion of how it is we can't do what we think we should do. And along the way, I uncovered new ways of understanding and relating to my feelings and the feelings of other people. Mm -hmm. I understood the ways in which so many of our behaviors are hijacked and controlled by ancient survival mechanisms in our bodies and in our brains. And finally, the ways in which our external environment has almost more control in what we do moment by moment than our own willpower, leading me to a simple conclusion that is very hard to put in practice. The way to live a life of meaning and a purpose and satisfaction is to do very difficult work of getting in touch with our own bodies and our feelings, while also being very intentional in curating what we see and interact with in the world around us. Hmm. I promise that answer is not scripted. It just sounds like it. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, you know, you've got a lot of experience of public speaking, so and, and podcasting. So you know, I, I just understand. heard it sounds like this sounds like you're literally reading from a teleprompter mic. Yeah, <laughs> but no, I mean, it, it, it's you know, I've, I've kind of followed a bit of your story, like social, because you know, you've talked about it a bit on social media on on your podcast and things, and it's it's very powerful, um, and it's really valuable that you're being so honest about it uh, that, mm. because we need like, like we talked about earlier we need to be honest about what's going on with us i mean and we especially right now we need we need examples of solidarity we need to we need to know that we are not alone in what we are experiencing and that mm. especially with all the emotional stuff that's going on with us, mm-hmm. the, the, all the things that we're carrying, all the questions, all the uncertainty that, that we need to we need to know that we're not alone in that and um, hold space for each other in that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, like, I, I mean, the, the book has got some. Uh, the chapter titles are great. All every single chapter title is just it's just this brilliant. Um, it's, it's fantastic. Um, <laughs> I hate naming chapters. Uh, my editor really works with me. He's like the the chapters are important, uh, so let's yeah. work hard on chapter titles. I was like, what? So <laughs> big kudos uh, yeah. to Derek Reed at Convergent for helping me make Ah, right. <laughs> Give me away your secrets. Um, but no, the, I mean, the, one of the chapters that I think would be interesting to explore right now especially would be the one about our emotions, um, a concrete mm-hmm. suitcase, um, the secret life of emotions. Oh, I, love, I, I love that. Um, it's a, you know, it's a really... Um, interesting <laughs> concept and it's very true you know the concrete suitcase like we keep it all inside um, mm-hmm. uh, and if we don't if we don't face up to our emotions then we will they will you know they will control us um, mm-hmm. instead of us being able to manage our responses um, so tell us a bit about the story behind the story of that chapter and and, and, and the science of it as well yeah you know I um we started doing these retreats, me and my friend Michael Gunger and our friend Hilary McBride, uh, centered around masculinity and kind of make trying to imagine what a uh, masculinity could look that look like without toxicity. So of course we got a woman to lead that, <laughs> a PhD candidate, male PhD proper, um, and she presented a model for understanding. Uh, our emotions and, and, and relating to them. That comes from a psychologist named Diana Fosha, and it's called Accelerated Experiential Dynamic Psychotherapy. And um, really great, uh, insightful model that I enjoyed noting and, and writing down. Um, and then thought it would just be a fascinating piece of information for me to act on until we did a psychodrama, which is a form of psychological exercise where someone uh, brings in people to stand in as, as figures from their memory to move through and reprocess a traumatic event. And I had this incredibly overwhelming panic attack where I like couldn't see. Um, I kind of went catatonic. Uh I had what I understand now to be a very powerful dissociative event. And as we processed that experience, Hillary um, encouraged me to see a trauma therapist, which I thought was quite silly, as I 
had never been traumatized in my mind. I'd never been to a battlefield, uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't understand that I could have experienced trauma. But Hillary explained to me that our brains can process all kinds of things as trauma. And just because we haven't literally been on a battlefield, which is kind of where the, the term PTSD comes from, um, doesn't mean that we don't have trauma. And so I started seeing a trauma therapist and moving through this process of not doing talking therapy like I was used to, where I would tell a great story and have an insight, and the therapist would feel smart, and I would feel like I was making progress, and it would be great. Instead, this therapist, when I would say something, would stop me and ask me how I felt. And then I would say, well, I feel like, and he'd say, you're about to tell me a thought. What do you feel in your body, and where do you feel it? And I would be like, what, nothing? This is weird. Please stop. It took weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks of this process, this discipline, of learning to listen to my feelings, mm. uh, to start making connections there. And when I started to make connections, I would get afraid because my feelings felt so powerful. And so the process of this therapy was effectively learning to connect with your feelings and then allow your feelings to express themselves because most of us are afraid to. Our feelings feel uh, too powerful and too overwhelming to face. Uh, you. You might fear that you're going to have a psychotic break the first time grief really starts to come out of your body. But it turns out your body knows how to do this. And if you let that grief be processed, uh, that latent emotional energy starts getting freed up from your brain and your trauma stops acting like a backseat driver in every moment of your life. By the way, you don't have to have trauma to have repressed feelings or repressed emotional responses. One of the most amazing things about this model is it shows the way in which guilt, shame, worry, and anxiety our responses our brain uses to mask feelings that we've been taught we are not allowed to feel. And so in that chapter, Concrete Suitcase, I describe not only the model of AEDP, but what it means for us day to day and how we live and relate to our feelings and how moving through a process of learning to be more emotionally aware and more emotionally embodied not only makes us feel better day by day generally, mm. but also makes it easier for us to engage in intimate relationships with others, as well as being active participants in creating a more equitable society. Yeah, that's that's, and it is a powerful story. I remember reading it. It was, you know, kind of when I saw that when you when you talk about when when you talk about that that experience at that event. It's so powerful because it, it, it almost takes you by surprise that, that, there's, that there's, there's, there's this kind of big response, um, mm-hmm. you know. And I won't spoil it for people who are going to read it, but it, but it, it's a very graphic response. It's a very visual response in a way. Like mm-hmm. it was a specific type of panic attack, um, which you which you mentioned, you know, in the book. And I mean, I never see. I never. I, I've had. I've had uh, flashbacks myself. I've had. Uh, panic attacks and anxiety attacks. Um, I've never had one that's quite that was quite that graphic before. I think that that was that was what struck me, and I think I think people who are reading it will, will again will find a lot of solidarity, especially right now, because I think the lesson that you're talking about, you know, we we, we can't we're all going to be carrying around a lot of emotions right now, and our brain might try and protect us, like you're talking about from feeling those things, but we actually do need to actually acknowledge them, acknowledge mm-hmm. that they exist, and acknowledge mm-hmm. that we're not okay. Um, because if we don't, um, if we don't, then we're 
going to be carrying that around and it's going to cause us a lot of damage later on and um, and I mean that, that I think you took you touched on grief there mm-hmm. I think that's something that a big thing that is people are experiencing right now is grief mm-hmm. um, and I know you've talked about this a lot in the, the videos you've been doing and um, but it's just grief is something that I'm really passionate about exploring and talking about and it's kind of ironic that I I just recorded a series on grief for the podcast and was was in the midst of releasing it when this happened. Um, it, mm. it felt like quite timely, and you know I've talked to therapists and to grief counsellors and also people who've experienced grief, and it's it's so important that we acknowledge what is happening because mm-hmm. otherwise it will control us. Um, yeah. Mm. Mm. I mean, is that like? Um, did you? Um, did you have what? What was the grief that you were carrying? What was? What was? What was that? What I mean, without oh, you don't have to go into too much detail, but um, what was that? What was it that you were carrying? That you were carrying that you needed to to let go of? Such a hard question to answer. Grief is so complex. Yeah. No, you're right. Kind of the way I understand it is everything that happens that causes us grief. Uh, gets mixed together in our brain. We almost have like a grief reservoir. Mm. And if we don't have an ability to express sadness, we just keep shoving grief into our grief reservoir until it fills and then starts pressurizing. <laughs> when it pressurizes, that's when it has the, the capacity mm. to really cause us some day-to-day challenges in our living and in our lives. So uh, I was grieving a lot. I was grieving the, the childhood I didn't get to have because I was so terribly bullied. I was grieving abuse that I'd experienced. I was grieving uh, the loss of loved ones I hadn't been able to grieve at the time. Mm. I was grieving um, for our society, for the, the ways that we don't care for each other well. It all gets mixed together in grief. And that's why sometimes something seemingly small that causes us to grieve, can release so much grief, it feels small enough that it feels safe enough to grieve, and then our brains and our bodies use the opportunity to express grief about other things that we didn't allow ourselves to grieve at that time. Yeah. So I would say I'm in a continual process, uh, both during the time of writing the book and still, of finding those moments when I can express necessary and needed grief. Um, and uh, I'd love to learn to have a more regular discipline about it instead of like these periodic outgassing. Yeah, um, and I think that's better than nothing. I think I mean I lost a parent twenty years ago, which is obviously a major experience of, of grief. Mm-hmm. Um, of course. And you know it is nearly twenty years now, and uh, it's interesting that over time I've I've learned how to process grief in a in a healthy way like you know um i mean in particular relating to my mother but actually i think these things can apply to just general grief as well like so i mean i i would sometimes i would put on a song that she loved or that we loved together mm-hmm. you know or something that reminds me of her in a healthy way and allows me to cry because crying i think is a very very good way to process our emotions it's a good way to let them out it's it's mm-hmm. um, we can do that in a safe space with, you know, with people that love us. With you know, in, when we're in a, in a 
um, in a safe place, it's a good thing to do, and mm-hmm. uh, and it's a it's a really great way to process grief, and especially for men, like it's kind of not culturally sanctioned still. Um, sometimes for men to for men to to cry, to cry and mm-hmm. it's important for men to learn to do that and just be okay with crying because it is a really good way to process. And I think everyone's going. I think for everyone listening who's in the midst of this the pandemic that you know if you if you're overwhelmed by your emotions then that's a good way to process them that's a and it's okay to 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 feel that way mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. it really is um so yeah i mean it's it's really interesting this book just covers so many of the things that we're exploring right now that we're going through right now um yeah um really really interesting you know um and that, I mean, one of the other chapters in the book, um, living in our bodies, you know, um, and how important that is. Um, I was talking to somebody uh, today about breathing and about just being present with your breath and just taking time. You know, I mean, what was your what's your what was your experience of learning to live in your body? Um. Long and drawn out, really. <laughs> and yes. still ongoing. That's why uh, it took me yeah. to answer that question. I'm like, what was the experience like? It is still happening. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, this is this is going to be a long project uh, for me. I, in the book, yeah. I just kind of sketch out the first few steps that I took. Mm. Uh, it's learning to one connect with my body's sensations, two my body's feelings, my emotions. And three, uh, accessing um, movement and awareness in my body. Um, and, the, you know, it's different processes for all of those things. I tend to be better at connecting with sensations through meditation and through feelings, through emotional growth work. That last one, body movement, is one that's a real challenge for me. I've only made a couple of baby steps in doing some embodiment exercises or uh, dancing. Dancing helps a lot with embodiment. Yes, it does. But these are not things that come naturally to me uh, by any means at all. Um, and I've, you know, I have days where I feel like really like I'm doing a good job, and then other days, like today, I'm. If I were to try to get up and dance, I would have no idea what to do. So it, it kind of comes and goes. Um, there's this research that I reference in the book um, about something called the man box, which is kind of the Western rules for masculinity. Mm. And the social scripts we give men really gets in the way of embodiment, body awareness, and body movement. And so trying to take that apart is work that I'm just always doing. That's interesting. I mean, it is. You're right. It is. The the, the process of, of healing and emotional health and all of that is it, it, ongoing work. It doesn't it doesn't end. You know, one of the mm-hmm. one of the one of the lessons that I learned when I was working through all this in my own life was, you know, there's no happy ever after. There's no That's kind right. of, I've done everything. I've followed all these steps and now I'm going to be okay and everything's going to be fine, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't have to do any more work. It, it doesn't work like that <laughs> much mm-hmm. as we would like it to, <laughs> but, mm-hmm. it, but it, but it, but it doesn't, you know, and even I've noticed in myself how I wanted it to finish. And I kind of, my subconscious was expecting it to finish. And I had to kind of remind myself that it wasn't going to finish. It just it's just going moving from different 
Someone told me it's like moving from a different to different layers of consciousness, like almost like spiral dynamics, like mm. uh, that as you move through the different layers that you encounter your your wounds, your grief or your pain from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And you can go deeper into it. Um, and that's uh, that's definitely been my experience. So it's it's an like you say, it's an, it's it's a continual process of just becoming more emotionally healthy and more in tune with yourself. Mm. Um, I mean, what is the, what is this what is this process teaching you about yourself that you didn't maybe you didn't know you didn't realize before? Um, James, you ask good questions, so sometimes I take time to think about. Oh, thank you. I said I said that's a compliment. Um, yeah. What is this process teaching me about myself that I didn't already know? I mean, it's like, I don't know how to reduce that to a podcast answer. It's it's teaching me so many things. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. You can, well, yeah, we've got time. You can expand It's like, it. uh, you know, um, it'd be like visiting Japan for the first time and saying, how is Japan different? Than the United Kingdom, and you'd be like, "Wow, <laughs> where do I start?" Um, um, I mean, what was like? What's the one? What was one of the biggest things? The most, like, the most significant things that you've? I'm learning to... that my main job is actually to take care of me and my feelings, and not others and mm. their feelings. There's a big one. That's a big one. That's a big one. That's something I had to learn. I've had to learn as well because I, like, ever since. Ever since I was a child, I've been like the eldest. I was mm-hmm. the protect. I I signed myself the role of the protector mm-hmm. when I was eight years old and stuff. And it was always my responsibility to take care of everybody else. And I even got comfortable yeah. there. You know, in it almost became safe a safe place. That's weirdly right. enough, you know, and I I was doing it with my parents when I was a teenager, like inappropriately trying to to protect them and be responsible for them. Uh, when I when I they should have been doing that for me, um, mm-hmm. um, and and I and I realised when I worked with my spiritual director that I that this had got to this had got to the point where in my subconscious that I had actually blamed myself for what had happened with my parents' marriage, with my mother's illness, yeah. and even for yeah. my mother's death, and that I had begun to punish myself by. Overeating, eating junk, not taking care of myself, um, not even thinking about what I wanted to do with my life at all, um, and I was almost slowly killing myself by not exercising and eating loads of junk food because it was right. like, well, I don't matter. My life doesn't matter. I don't deserve to be here. I don't deserve to be alive. This is all my fault, you know. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize that I, I even had this inside of me until I started doing this work. And then when I finally realised it and acknowledged it and let go of it, it was a huge moment, obviously. I mean, we carry around stuff that we don't even realise we're carrying around, you know. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like you say, it's really important to do this work because you might be, I mean, listeners might be carrying around stuff that you don't even realise and it might have been causing you so much damage for so long and been holding you back and... It's just, and especially right now, you know, it's just so important. And I can repeat this all day that just be present with yourself and notice what's going on in yourself and acknowledge it and don't try and cover it up. Um, 
because um, it's okay to to have those emotions and mm-hmm. the only way to be free is to acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. That's right. Um, and I mean that's kind of what you talk about in your book when 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 you, know, you go through this process yourself that you learn to figure you learn to confront all this stuff. You start to unpack who you are and what you've been covering up and what you've done in your life to cover up the fear and the insecurity and the and the and the and the grief, you know, and the, and the trauma. Because yeah, it's that's so, the work, right? Yeah. yeah, that's the work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, did it affect your how you approached your you know your doing all the work that you do? Um, you know, the writing and the the podcasting and stuff because of the role that it had kind of played before that you talked about and that feeling of satisfaction that it had given you. How did that change when when you changed and you realised that this was actually almost a, like that satisfaction was almost hiding things that you didn't know about? That's why I'm not on the Liturgist podcast anymore. Right. Is my was my need to rescue and save and take responsibility for the feelings of everyone in that audience. Um, that's why I'm not back yet. Is I don't I don't trust myself to go back into that space and not revert into old habits. I need to give my body and my brain time to make new habits and new ways of being. It's radically changed the way that I do my work. Um, I, I make things from the excess of my life and my emotional energy. I don't live my life from the excess of my public work. If that's a big and important shift. Uh, so this insight that I was... Um, literally working myself to death uh, mm. trying to manage other people's feelings for them has fundamentally restructured the way that I do work. So even these daily social media check-ins that I do, if I just like feel a little tired or if the kids want to watch a movie or something, we just skip the social media check-in that day and I just trust that people can take responsibility for their own lives in my absence uh, and make their own decisions instead of operating out of a sense of obligation and that if I don't show up in the public in some way that I am then letting down or failing people and taking responsibility for the consequences in their lives. Um, now, to be clear, I'm not advocating that we move to some sort of some sort of, some sort of uh, like selfish, I'm the most important person attitude in the world. That is not what I mean. Hmm. What I mean is this kind of codependent, uh, reactions so many of us were trained to have to absolutely minimize and ignore our own feelings and experiences and then take an inappropriate degree of ownership over other people's feelings and behaviors. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, because we can easily do that. Um, especially when you're an empath or you're highly sensitive, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, I, I feel that too because I'm highly sensitive and very empathetic. So, like I felt myself taking on emotions of everyone around me, like my body doing it without my without almost my permission because that's just how I'm how I'm made. And so I've had to learn how to just like lay that aside and just not again not give it the power to control me because it's one thing of feeling having all these feelings which we will have and it's okay to have them. Um, the key, I think, and this is, I think you, this is, this is kind of explored in the book as well, that 
it's not give, it's it's not giving those emotions the power to control your actions mm-hmm. but actually it being the opposite way around and you you can manage your emotions and you or you'll not manage your emotions but manage your response to your emotions mm-hmm. and I, That's right. the metaphor that i like is 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 like almost like building a structure into your pain uh, which allowed you to go in and out of it without actually ever having power over you and mm-hmm. um, it means that you are able to go to those places and not stay there um, and and be in control of what is happening um, while still acknowledging that those places exist mm-hmm. that's right um, and I think you know going back to like to the covid uh, the pandemic that you know that we I think I hope that one of the things that comes out of this is that people start to learn how to do this, um, start to learn how to be emotionally healthy um, and to acknowledge grief, um, all the grief that they're carrying around um, and not let it control them anymore. And actually, mm. because when you do that, I think as well that I think you connect with yourself and you get to know yourself better. I mean, has that been yeah, your experience? I think so too. And that's has that been your your experience as well, like getting to know yourself better. Yeah, and learning to actually like me, <laughs> not, <laughs> not just know me, but to actually like me. I mean, that's kind of a new experience for me. Wow! Uh, to not feel so much constant shame over who I am or what I think or what I feel. Um, yeah, that's been that's been a very new experience for me. Wow, that's amazing. Because so much, so many of us love you. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, <laughs> it's so many of us that you know love love you and your work and your heart and your compassion and um, and it's just great that you can see that now. <laughs> well, I think, I think we all have uh, cheerleaders in our life, people who love us and people who care for us, and our relationship with our feelings makes it really hard to know that those people are there. Um. I think that's a huge part of the the, the growth and journey of um, of growing and changing and learning about ourselves. Yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know. That's just my I think it's important to allow ourselves <laughs> to be human, right? Yeah, because I think we we if we try and be perfect, if we try and think we're in we're invulnerable and that nothing can hurt us and. That, yeah, that we have to be, or think that we have to be perfect and perform for everybody else. That, mm-hmm. that that's well, yeah, that's where the damage can come in. Mm-hmm. You know, part mm-hmm. of growth is just accepting that you're human and it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what is? I mean, I'm trying to figure out a good way to to end, which has which covers which acknowledges what's going on and what's. And talks about and acknowledges your book as well. I mean, how do you think that? Do you think? Do you feel like your book is very has suddenly become more timely than ever? Um, oh gosh, you know, um, every interview I've done, people have said that. <laughs> <laughs> um, every every single interview I've done, someone has said, "Wow, this book is really timely." That is an accident. That is not a plan. Oh no, obviously. Uh, but- it wouldn't be. But no. yeah, I do I do actually think like helping people understand and explore and relate to their feelings 
is suddenly a uh, work of extraordinary importance. Um, and I do think that, uh, you know, facing the level of grief and collective trauma that we are all about to experience together, uh, that this book can be a really helpful uh, resource in that journey. Great. That's great. That sounds like a really good way to, to kind of end that, our conversation. I, I'm really grateful that, you, that you've come back on the show and grateful that uh, I'm grateful for this book and I really believe that it can be really helpful for people right now. Um, it's strange how so many, I've got so many friends who've got books coming out which in hindsight seem very timely. It's almost like somebody knew what they were doing with mm. all these books, just been all these books coming out right now. Um, and yeah, so I mean, what is, what, what would be your biggest, your, the, the one piece of wisdom you'd like to pass on to people right now? The one thing that you'd like to say to the world? You may not know what to do right now. You may be afraid of changes that are happening in our world, the disease that's spreading, the economic fallout from that disease, all of this may seem so overwhelming and so impossible. And I just want to let you know that you, dear friend, are a miracle, that you are the latest in an unbroken line of successful living organisms that can trace their lineage back to the very first life that appeared on this planet. I want you to know that your body and our bodies together already know how to cope with pandemics and economic hardships and changes. There's tremendous wisdom in our bodies. And so if you will give your body the space it needs to process these changes, you'll find that your body and your brain have the resiliency to not only take actions that make your life better, but also to work with others in creating a society that can not only endure through hardships like these, but become even more resilient and even more equitable. And as we do that, not everyone will proceed at the same pace, and some people will refuse to participate at all. Why? Because like you, they are a pain in the ass. But <laughs> I want you to know, in those moments when we or others are challenging or difficult, the explanation is simple. Mechanisms that helped us survive in eons past right now are confused and misfiring in our modern sociological context. And so those people need patience, support, and maybe the occasional bonk on the head. But whatever happens, friends, together, we will get through all of this as we have for billions of years. Thank you, Mike. That's wonderful <laughs> thank you um, and thank you for listening everyone and take care of yourselves stay well and uh, we'll talk to you soon